Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're up to, including all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And now would be a good time to start planning a trip here to experience our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking. But, you know, maybe go easy on the river crossings while you're here. Uh, Anyway, but do definitely do some running or hiking or biking on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest this week is Mike Foote, who on December 31st of 2020, headed out with fellow North Face athlete Rob Krar to do something pretty stupid, I think. No, I'm just kidding. It was really awesome and definitely badass. And okay, arguably a terrible idea. Anyway, against his initial better judgment... Rob ended up joining Mike for this R-to-R-to-R alt-route adventure, and so Brendan Leonard and I thought that this would be a good time to catch up with Mike and have him tell the story. Now, Rob also made a great and brief little highlight video from their outing, so you can see these river crossings that we will be talking about here, and we'll include a link to that video in the show notes of this episode. And yes, we definitely need to get Rob on off the couch sometime to let him tell his side of the story, by which I mean I'll probably just ask him for like an hour and a half why on earth he changed his mind and took the proverbial and the literal plunge here. But today we get Mike's version of events and we also get Mike talking about a number of interesting and important topics that all go to show just how terrific and thoughtful of a person Mike is. And so with that, let's go ahead and have Brendan Leonard kick off our conversation with Mike Foote. Here we go. Mike Foote, thanks for joining us on Off the Couch. My first question for you, um, I think this is relevant and timely, is that you, correct me if I'm wrong here, you recently formulated a very elaborate plan um, that involved lots of driving, running, even some swimming to get a photo of your friend Rob's butt to put on the internet. <laughs> uh, this is true. Is that how it came about or was it what, uh, what was the goal there? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. I was thinking, how do I go about getting a naked photo of my friend and ultra running legend, Rob Carr? And I thought to myself, maybe I could get him to run rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon with me, but let's do it somewhere where there isn't a bridge. Yes. Okay. So that's, <laughs> so then, so then you have to swim across. So in all seriousness, you were, you were looking for, as I recall, you were looking for something to sort of close out your year of running. So New Year's Eve, you did not the rim to rim to rim that's that most people do, but there's the alternate route, which goes down the South Bass Trail, crosses the river, up the North Bass Trail to the North Rim, back down, swim across again, and back up to the South Rim. Correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful route. I didn't know much about it, but uh, this year it's been 
attempted a few times and uh, gotten some notoriety. And I've spent time in the Grand Canyon uh, off and on over the years. Uh, I've I've actually rode it in my river rafting days prior to getting way into running, and all my water sports went uh, out the window. But uh, yeah, it's 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 just like the rim to rim to rim normal route, which is quite popular and hundreds or I don't even know thousands of people might do it annually now, but, uh, it's really only similar in the distance and vertical elevation gain. Everything else is quite different. Uh, much more rugged, much slower, much more, uh, I guess wild feeling. I just, we, we were out there all day for an 11 hour effort and never saw another soul. And, uh, yeah, the mental aspect of it was, knowing that we had to, had to swim the Colorado on New Year's Eve, which is the day we did it, uh, which was a mental hurdle, to say the least. Yeah, 42, isn't the water's 42 degrees, isn't that right, normally? Yeah, 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 I think it's in the mid-40s, and it was, so, so yeah, we started uh, kind of early morning, I think just before 7 a.m., and as we, as we left the car, the thermometer said seven degrees uh, on the rim. And, you know, logistically, Rob and I had chatted about how we wanted to approach this, uh, this effort. And, you know, we, some people have done it in wetsuits. Other people have, uh, taken pack rafts. I think Brandon, in a conversation with you prior to this adventure, you had recommended I bring two bottles of whiskey in order to uh, bribe a raft who may be happening to head down the river to to, sh- to ferry Rob and I across and then another one for the way back. Uh, but, uh, you know, Rob was having none of that. He just wanted to swim it naked. And <laughs> in hindsight, it was the best idea because it took the least amount of time. And while it was incredibly cold, it was also just a short two-minute swim and, uh, yeah, we were able to warm up, dry off on the other side, throw a puffy jacket on and keep moving before, uh, we got too cold and yeah, it added a little spice to the, the adventure. You throw everything in a dry bag tied around to your waist with a little P cord and, uh, jump in. Oh, so you probably had just a tiny bit of hesitation before you jumped in. Would you say you were more, was there more hesitation before the first time you jumped in or the second time coming back across when you already knew what it felt like? Yeah, good question. Definitely the first time uh, I just kind of sat there very exposed um, for, I don't know, 20 or 30 seconds. Literally. Working, working up the, uh, heck yeah. And and I got undressed faster than Rob, so I was kind of waiting for him. Um, but yeah, it was it's really intimidating to jump into cold. I mean, the air temperature outside was probably in the mid-30s at that point. Um, water temp in 40. And, and you know, it's the, the first swim is... Uh, you know, I, I should I should say this. It's not to be taken lightly. I mean, it's kind of fun to joke about, but it's a real river and it's a real swim. And if anybody's ever considering doing this, they should definitely make sure they're very well prepared. But with that said, it's it's also really exciting. I mean, the you're on the tail end of the Bass Rapids, and you know, it's it's uh, it's big water, and yeah, it's you got kind of got to fairy angle across just right so you hit this beach because otherwise it's it's kind of cliffy and things like that so there's there's some logistics into it but uh yeah the second time around 
was less intimidating because it was flatter water. It was a longer swim and our bodies were not as ready for the, I guess, resilient at that point to compensate for the temperature change. And so uh, I was definitely having a hard time like zipping up my jacket and getting all my things together on the other side because I was shivering and chattering so much. Oh, wow. Okay. As somebody who absolutely hates cold water, (laughs) is there not a temperature or temperature range where you might like jump in and just kind of lock up or seize up. And cause that's, I feel like what would happen to me if it's like 30 something degrees outside and I attempt to enter moving water, that's just the end of me. Like I become paralyzed and think that was, that was the worst idea of my life. Well, when you, when there's this like necessity that you have to move and you have to swim, like, I would say the adrenaline kind of uh, takes over a bit and you don't think about any of those things. For me, I I, I actually do love jumping in cold water. And oh, man. While, while it was cold, it wasn't, it wasn't like jumping into, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was doable. It was really shocking, but it didn't like, I, I didn't feel like I was just going to sink to the bottom because I couldn't move my body. Right. System shock. And so you, you have some demented practice. Uh, so this wasn't like the coldest water you've ever flung yourself into. <laughs> oh, I mean, you you live in the mountains. You know how it is to just jump into a river on late spring day, or, or maybe you don't, uh, or in the summer, in the morning. I mean, I feel like the temperature of, of like the rivers here in Western Montana like never get above 50, even in August. Mm-hmm. So, so I feel like I'm always jumping in water and, uh, after a run or something. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I don't jump into water in December normally. Right. And especially when it's 30 degrees out, that does right. sound miserable. It does. It sounds real miserable. <laughs> Want to know how I know I'll never do this? <laughs> Attempt this. We've just already talked about it. So anyway, I'm out. So congrats, uh, I, extra congrats sure. on, on what you've done, Mike. Yeah. So did that uh, effectively get like, was that a, a good wrap up to your running season then? Were you sort of like, okay, I'm, I'm good now afterwards? Yeah. I mean, 2020 was hard. Uh, it was really hard to find goals. Um, I never am one to struggle with motivation and I don't feel like I really did in 2020 amidst a lot of the change and challenge. But with that said, I also never really had any sort of like a a release or like a big objective that I was able to achieve. And, um, you know, frankly, I was getting pretty stir crazy. I was thinking of something, I wanted something fun to do before, uh, put my feet up for a couple of weeks. I mean, I'd just been kind of running myself, not into the ground, but just with like running hard week after week after week with no real end in sight. And I knew I needed to take a break, but I also figured I'd put some, some fitness to use. And yeah, it was, uh, I texted, you know, we've spoken about him a little bit. Rob Carr is a North Face teammate of mine and just like legendary ultra runner, great guy and good friend. I texted him out of the blue cause he lives in Flagstaff, uh, you know, near the Grand Canyon and said, Hey, are you interested in doing this route with me? And Right off the bat, he's like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> he's like, I mean, I, I, he did sleep on it, but then he's like, no, I, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid I'll freeze to death, and I just don't think I'm ready for an adventure like that. And I was like, okay, cool, you know, fun to dream. Thanks. I appreciate, you know, your honesty 
Um, and then like four or five days later, he texts me and he's like, yep, just ran the South Rim down to the river. I'm in. Let's do this next week. Wow. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, just made a manic. I got a negative COVID test uh, before, like while I was leaving town you know, got the negative or got the test, got the negative result before I got to Rob's house in Flagstaff. And yeah, we, we busted it out on, on New Year's Eve. You have, you have a couple jobs. One is a professional athlete and one is events director for runner's edge, um, in Missoula, putting together all these races all year. Was 2020 super difficult for you to not have those uh, I mean, did it kind of feel rudderless that you had none of these like every month goals or I'm going to run such and such race in such and such month. And I also am going to put on this, this race as my part of my day job. Was it really difficult to navigate because of that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I kind of jokingly just felt like when people were asking me how I was doing, I mean, I think we were all in the same boat of just feeling like, like it's Groundhog's Day, you're working towards something, but never with like a release. So race directing is uh, a lot of computer work and a lot of just like being alone, designing these experiences, but it's, and, it, and it's quite monotonous, but then it's great because you bring people together, mm. you share in this incredible challenge and you see people like really pushing themselves and camaraderie and it's like incredibly fulfilling as a race director to see people at your events um and of course in 2020 we didn't have that so we were just I, I probably worked two or three times as hard as i ever have on events last year but we didn't hold any events uh we were just constantly you know trying to get our stability with the ground shifting under our feet all the time and, and trying to do the right thing and shifting to virtual and things like that which has value and, and, and helps keep a carrot on the end of the stick for people in our community, but ultimately isn't my end goal as an event organizer. I like bringing community physically together when I can. And um, yeah, it was a really challenging year and it's it, it very much paralleled my athletic endeavors, which is to say I just kind of got up and, and, and was grinding every day, but without any real modulation or uh, change. It was just kind of the same every day. Um, and that was really, yeah, really challenging for sure. Mike, you were saying that you actually were putting in a lot of running, uh, and a lot of training. What does that mean in terms of whether you want to say in terms of weekly mileage or if you want to do it in terms of hours a week or whatever, what does that mean for you, at least where you are kind of, you know, well, not where you are right now, where you were, right? For this, for this past, uh, for this past year. Yeah, that's a good question. I honestly, I, I also amidst all this struggled with a lot of, uh, injury this year. I, I, I really do believe like in a lot of ways, I feel like I've handled 2020. Okay. But I do think that stress manifests itself in your body. And I think I was carrying around a lot of uh, just random aches and pains this year that was keeping my capacity at about probably 75% of normal. And so I felt like I was kind of always pushing up against the ceiling of what my body would let me do, which was another kind of challenge this year. But uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's mostly running, especially in the summer. I mean, in the winter, I do a lot of ski mountaineering and things like that. But uh, um, yeah, it's, it's nothing insane. I mean, somewhere between 70 and 90 mile weeks, uh, a lot of vert just being living in Missoula. I mean, 
Brandon can, t- can attest to this is just lots of, lots of long climbs right out the front door, which is great. And so for me, it was just exploring or trying to explore just new mountain ranges or, or trails even out the front door, um, here in Western Montana, just, I didn't, I didn't travel at all from, from March through pretty much this trip down to Arizona. So lots of, lots of time in the backyard and luckily it's a good backyard. 70 to 90 miles a week, lots of vert. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, yeah, it, I think what's interesting is like when I am training for a race, there's tapering, there's recovering from events. Mm. So you have these like built in recovery periods, but for, for me this year, it was just kind of like, I probably should have done a better job of incorporating recovery throughout the year. Hmm. And instead I was just constantly just doing as much as my body would let me without really adjusting. (laughs) Um, so in hindsight, perhaps that wasn't the best plan, but I think like a lot of people, there's also this like mental health component of wanting to get out and just be active every day because it, it, it anchors the day pretty well when there's so much other uncertainty and other things that you have zero control over. It's really nice to, be able to get out on a daily basis and move your body and challenge yourself. So, uh, that's, that's kind of the difference between exercising and being an athlete. Like as an athlete, you, you have the structure and this plan and you're, you're adjusting and improving and progressing. I felt like I was at times very much just an exerciser this year, just going out and hammering every day just to, just to get that sanity. That's funny. Um, so I guess a typical year, you know, you're, you're planning 15 races. Is that right? Am I counting yeah, that right? Yeah. yeah. yeah wow. 12 to 15. What is, uh, what are, what are things looking like right now? It's January. Um, is the rut the biggest thing, the biggest race? I think it is, right? It is. Yep. That people have probably heard of too. Um, but like, are you, are you meeting and going, well, let's see what happens with vaccines this week. And we'll talk about, you know, X race that normally takes place on, you know, in May or how is that, how are you all approaching that right now? Yeah. So, so there's like a small team of us. There's three of us that work on our events for, uh, Ferrari events, which is the name of our, our company. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's all over the board, to be honest. I mean, with our summer rate, like we have moved our larger spring races to the fall already in hopes that, uh, we'll feel a lot better about hosting them. Uh, you know, I would say in 2020, we were probably on the conservative side and essentially moved all of our events to virtual other than a a couple in October that were pretty small. Um, right now we can only have like 25 people or so in a group. So it's, yeah, we're, we're pretty limited. And, and right now we're moving forward with a full calendar, but it kind of starts in late May. Uh, and, you know, we're very much keeping our finger on the pulse of just the industry and what other races are doing. And I mean, some races are hosting large events right now in, in parts of the country, but we're not, we're not in a place where we feel comfortable doing that. And um, we're hopeful that we will be in a place to do that come, come this summer as more people are vaccinated and I will say that the formatting of these running races and just the way that the protocols and guidelines that people are putting in place to maintain social distancing and things like that have been, have seemed to be really effective and and still allow people to come out and have a good race and challenge themselves. And, you know, the, the festivities and the camaraderie, a lot of that's lost because you're, you know, 
don't really get to experience a whole lot together or gathering, but you know, you can put a course together and people can go see what they can do on it. And that's really valuable. So I'm, I'm all about trying to see safe events happening. And as soon as we feel like we can do that, we will. And like, we really want to push to get people out there. Cause I think it's, I think it's really important that people can do those things as long as it, as long as it does feel right. And not that we're just doing it blindly because we want to put an event on. <laughs> How much are you personally looking forward to something like the rut, which is a really big deal. Like I'm sure it's completely exhausting for you. And when it's over, you're like, Oh my God, thank God I have a little bit of a break until we, plan that again but how much personally does that buoy you throughout a normal year where you're like really excited to to see all the people who come in and friends who come in to compete and and things like that compared to next year or this year yeah 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 uh it, it definitely does i mean it's 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 something to look forward to i actually wasn't like when we canceled the rut last year so the rut mountain runs is a, a race i put on in uh big sky Montana over Labor Day weekend. And we do all sorts of different distances and it's, it's become quite large. We have over 3000 people in it. So it's definitely the, the, um, you know, our, our, our main event of the year. And, uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it's when we canceled it this year, I was, I was kind of devastated. I didn't think I would be, I thought it'd be like, sweet. Now I don't have to do all this work, <laughs> but it was nothing like that. It was, it was really hard. And, um, to not have that is like a, waypoint along the year last year was pretty unsettling and i'm really hopeful we can do it again in 2021 because it is it is a lot of work and it's something that i work on year year round and to have that uh kind of that culmination over a week and a weekend and that community coming together is is where all the value is and what makes it feel yeah i it's always funny because like the week before the event i'm over it and the week after the event i'm so stoked for the next year um <laughs> which is you know that's how people often are in like with events like that so um yeah for sure do you think it's mentally and or physically possible for you to try to win your own race like we, would you be able to do all the work that's required to put on the event and also be in good mental and physical shape to be like i'm gonna i'm as soon as, you know, I'm going to win the 50 K this year and all sub question to that, would that be really bad form? <laughs> um, well, it would never happen. So it, it definitely, I, I don't have to worry about the form of it because I'm, I actually, the way I treat it is that I kind of treat it like a hundred miler. I, I, I'm, I'm realizing every year that I can't just like I, a couple years ago, I tried to have a big, race i went in to run the run rabbit run 100 miler two weeks after the rut two years ago it was a horrible mistake because i was carrying so much fatigue from the from just event organizing that i actually dnf'd it's only the second race i've ever dnf'd and uh yeah no hell no i'm so tired i'm so <laughs> exhausted during that time and i don't sleep at all that week and it's like manic and fun but it's also like way too much i i will say we do a hill climb just up to the top alone peak and that's like an hour of just blowing the pipes out and i compete in that every year and um i've never won it i think i've been like third or second once but uh yeah that's a that's more fun because it's actually just a good stress reliever at the start of the weekend oh that's good okay yeah that make that makes a lot more sense huh yeah yeah, that would be awkward if you won the 50K or whatever. I think it'd be awesome, Mike. 
I'm rooting <laughs> yeah. for screw screw Brendan's self-deprecating, you know, whatever thing he's got going. I think sometime you're like, you know what? You're welcome for this event, and now I'm gonna go beat you all. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm gonna start hoping that happens someday. But uh, you know. I just, I just feel like it would be either required doing a really bad job of planning the event or like or like Navy Navy SEAL levels of mental and physical training right. to like, yeah, it was amazing. The event went out without, without a hitch and Mike actually won the 50K. It was incredible. <laughs> I was like. Oh, that's so daunting. It makes me, yeah. Uh, it makes me, it makes my stomach hurt just thinking about it. <laughs> okay. During this event, I mean, when you put it to the scale of like 3,000 people, I guess, this kind of starts to make sense. But when you're like, during the event, like I barely sleep, is it just putting out random fires, like the most random fires? Or is it, are there kind of two or three reasons why this becomes a maybe more or less literally around the clock job? Oh... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure your listeners just want to hear the minutia of my my week at at the rut, but uh, it's <laughs> it's it's just that it's. I mean, the schedule is quite demanding. You know, we we're up before the sun comes up, getting things ready. We're up late doing like, I mean, we have like speaker series and presentations and pre race briefings, and then there's just a constant constant fire hose of communication and then yeah there's always i mean anytime you're doing anything that has such logistics uh you're constantly uh putting out small fires so i I mean i just can't sleep i'm just up thinking about things and and working on things and it's great i the rest of the year i don't that's not how i operate at all so I, i can kind of just go into that mode for a good like five to seven day period can you kind of describe how you sort of came into the the job of planning these events. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, big shout out to Anders Brooker who owns the runner's edge in Missoula, uh, Missoula, Montana here. And I, uh, I started coaching high school cross country with him as an assistant coach here at a high school. And, uh, it's called Hellgate high school here in Missoula. And, uh, yeah, we, we became friends. I started working for him at the running store. He owns the running store in town and pretty quickly thereafter, we decided it'd be fun to start building out events for Western Montana. And over the course of four or five years, I, we went from one event, a 30 kilometer trail race in town to, uh, about 15 races, everything from, you know, new year's day, five K's to the rut mountain runs to, you know, fundraiser, like fundraiser events for the local youth homes or our local climate uh, advocacy organization. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's been a really fun way to partner with other organizations in the community. It's been fun to give, uh, give people an opportunity, like locals, an opportunity to run and race and, uh, you know, an event like the rut, which has transcended Montana. It's fun to actually host people from all over the world in our backyard. And that's been just a, just a really wonderful experience as well. So for me, it was great because I was at the same time progressing my, kind of professional trail running career. So I was able to do a lot of work remotely and I was no longer working at the running store slang and shoes as they say. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it ended up being a good balance for me, uh, and, and helped me scratch a kind of more creative itch or, or a desire to like create things and design experiences. And, um, I have a lot of fun with that. 
And similarly, well, I guess, okay, this is, this is a different question. It's probably not as interesting as how you got into it, but, um, how do you divide your day up when, you know, it's neither, well, I guess maybe you would describe race directing as a full-time job and being a pro athlete as sort of a side gig, or is that accurate? Or is it like you're, you have a pie chart of how, how much time you, you dedicate to each one each day. Can you talk about that balance a little bit? Oh man. Uh, yeah. So about that. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's yeah. I, I try and just dedicate chunks of time every day to like just generally work and it, whether it's sponsor obligations or, uh, you know, research, I, I, I tend to do a lot of, put a lot of time into like researching other events to see what's going on out there. And, um, try and keep my finger on the pulse of what, what people are doing, the trajectory of trail running, um, you know, to make sure we're offering good, good things for, uh, people. I don't do a great job of like keeping everything in really clean buckets. Uh, I seem to operate okay with loose boundaries on that. Uh, you know, it, it, it tends to, tends to blur sometimes. I mean, I'm a sponsored North face runner, but I, the North face is also the title sponsor of the rut. And so I do a lot of work with them as with my race director hat on and my running hat on. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it definitely blends. I, I wish I could give you like this perfect routine, but it just, for me, it doesn't exist. And I've, I, they're both probably part-time jobs year round. I mean, race directing sometimes can be a 60 hour week, but that's, that's really bracketed by a bunch of 15 to 20 hour weeks, you know? Um, so it ends up working out. Okay. And I just, I try to balance the races I'm running, uh, and the races I'm organizing and not stacking them too close to one another so that I don't get too toast from it. Yeah. Mike, somewhat related question. I'm curious about, like at this time of year, right, mid-January, what does your week start to look like in terms of how much running you're doing right now versus how much skiing you're doing right now? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's no year that's the same. And yeah. in fact, I'm I'm actually coming off of probably five plus years of really intense ski mountaineering competition and training in the winters. And this winter I've decided to kind of back off that with COVID there's still, there's still races happening. Um, but I'm, I'm not super interested in in traveling a lot, um, every weekend for them. So, uh, I'm actually, you know, after like mentioning earlier, after this grand Canyon adventure, I'm taking a couple weeks pretty easy. And, um, frankly, skiing is so much more fun this time of year. And I'm, as long as there's snow, I'm going to probably ski a little bit more the next couple months. Um, for years, for the last four or five years, I've kind of exclusively skied, but realized that the older I get, the harder it is to transition back to running. So I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep a little running in the, uh, you know, you know, each, each week for sure. So that the transition isn't too bad come spring and summer. I really want, yeah, I want to have, uh, the opportunity to chase goals this summer when, when they present themselves. And I think running this winter will be a, be a good thing for me. On the one hand, I got to think that's seems real healthy to be able to be like, 
well, there's a bunch of snow and it's real cold. And now I'm going to get my endurance training in, in a different way. Um, in terms of just, I don't know, thinking about burnout or boredom in a way that seems pretty positive, unless you're coming out of a ski season, getting back into running and, and say, aren't feeling like that was optimal in terms of keeping up your running fitness. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it all goes, comes down to just time in your career and life. And, you know, if I was just to sum up the last 10 years, it would be pendulum on one side where I'm running 120 mile weeks in January and February and then sw- and then burning out and then the pendulum swinging all the way to the other side and like trying to set world records on schemo in March and training like a madman on skis exclusively. And now the pendulum's kind of coming back in the middle because turns out when you ski all winter and then you try to jump into ultra marathon racing and training, uh, you know, at least for me, like struggling with like lower leg injuries and, you know, tendonitis and things like that. Cause you're just not used to that impact. So for me, it's, it's, it's just hedging my bets to be injury free this summer more than it's because the reality is, yeah, I, I love to ski and I love snow. And, uh, Brendan can attest to this, that Missoula right now is making it easy for trail running and hard for skiing. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that we're having a pretty, pretty thin winter, but, uh, you know, that's, that's okay. Yeah, I, didn't, I wasn't. I, I I believe winter has not been invited yet, or missed the maybe missed the text message that's like, "Hey, we're still we're still interested this year." Uh, it seems like a lot of places in the West, though. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite Instagram posts you've done is where you listed all of your jobs in life, um, <laughs> from from starting your own lawn mowing service uh, in your hometown in Ohio all the way up to present day professional athlete. I, I once had to do this for some legal paperwork uh, and it was extremely challenging. Do you, so I'm just going to read a few select ones of these because they're, cause they're <laughs> oh, fun. Man. Lawn mowing services, self-employed, Ohio, pizza shop, Calusi's Pizza, Ohio, bailing and putting up hay, weed whacker and sand trap raker, Hickory <laughs> Grove golf course. I didn't even know you, I didn't even know sand trap raker was a, a isn't thing. that just like a general greenskeeping Oh, uh, anyway, dishwasher, yeah. uh, concrete construction laborer, skip ahead a little bit here, pipe fitter, teen adventure camp leader, burrito slanging, ski instructor, bus boy, dishwasher, rafting and backpacking guide, avalanche forecaster for road construction crews, ski patroller, high school cross country coach. Uh, and, and now we have race director and professional endurance athlete. Um, Phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal so the the, the, the normal trajectory (laughs) anthony bourdain famously has said well maybe not that famously has said that his first dishwashing job in a restaurant was the most important restaurant job he ever had because it taught him the value of just like showing up and doing your job and um you know not being late and things like that is there do you look back on any of those early jobs or mid-career jobs and think this laid a little bit of the groundwork for what I am able to do today, either as an athlete or as a race director. Yeah. Oh man. That was fun to hear all those, all those jobs. <laughs> um, I think so. I mean, it. W- I, I, I have my mom to thank for just telling me that I had to get a job early <laughs> in life <laughs> and, and that I needed to work for things. And uh, I think that's a really 
I, I'm really thankful for that, that a lot of it just wasn't like, I mean, I grew up just fine and my mom took care of me and all that. But, uh, you know, if I wanted something or if I wanted to buy something, I wasn't, I wasn't going to get money from her. So I, I, I early on started like a, a lawn mowing business and, you know, was kind of holding two to three jobs at a time. I think the reason I have like so many jobs is like, I was constantly working 30 hours a week with three 10 hour a week jobs. And so I was able to just accumulate a lot of different titles. And yeah, I think just my, I, I, I think that whether it's dishwashing or being a bus boy or mowing, like, I, I don't know. I think that those jobs really did set me well, set me up well for service. Like, other types of service jobs, like being a, you know, teen adventure camp guide or, um, a ski instructor. Like I, I think, you know, some people might not agree with this, but I think everybody should work a service industry job. I yeah. think it helps you understand the world yep. <laughs> in a better way. And, um, my, my wife who is a nurse and just directly went into nursing, she, I, in a lot of ways, I mean, that's a service job too, but she never like worked in a restaurant or anything. And I'm always like, oh, you should have done that when you were younger. She's like, no, it sounds, it sounds horrible. Why would I want that? <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, she, she's of service in her, in her profession all the time as well. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's really valuable and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for, for anything. I, I had so many experiences through all of the random career paths I took simultaneously. I feel like dishwashing is its only like professional dishwashing is its own sort of ultra marathon without a finish line. Like where you're, you just don't know when it's, it's like Biggs backyard ultra or something like that. Like <laughs> eventually, eventually the tide will slow down. Like people will stop bringing dishes in, but like, <laughs> but you can't, you can't sprint, you know, you gotta like, you gotta pace yourself and like, just, you know, keep going. Otherwise you'll, you'll, burnout but yeah it's funny because now i think i would just constantly be listening to podcasts while dishwashing <laughs> and it'd be it would be wonderful but at the time i think i was listening to like just metallica and pantera and like seven dust and i was just listening to heavy metal in my in my youthful years and just jamming out in the back kitchen there <laughs> yeah yep i was yeah there's a i'm this is a good segue into my question about books, but I read this great book called Dishwasher, uh, One Man's Quest to Wash Dishes in All 50 States, or something like that, One Man's Goal, something like that. Um, but it's it's an actual, the guy actually attempts to try to wash dishes in all 50 states. And I think it's, I just read it because I was interested in the, in the idea of it. And I was halfway through going, this is one of the best adventure books I've ever read, even though the guy doesn't do any, like, it's not like he's a climber or anything, but it's like fantastic shit. So... Um, you're, you're quite, uh, quite an impressive reader, I would say of books. Um, and like, I, there's one of your Instagram posts from the last few weeks, uh, end of 2020, where you put up the stack of books and, and, you know, said, what are, what are some of your favorite books of, you know, that you read this year or whatever? Um, do you have a handful of, or like two or three, running books that kind of, um, change the way you think about it or, um, gave you a lens on which to view it that, that you think are helpful to people or would be helpful to people. 
so I'm going to, I'm going to non answer your question. So there's, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a book that I read this, uh, this year that's really just kind of resonated with me and I've just been, it's been stuck in the back of my head is called the inner game of tennis. It's like a sports psychology book from the seventies or eighties all about tennis. And it, you know, just like any sport, like I often look for inspiration in running way outside of running, uh, you know, and, and this book really hit the mark and just this very clear articulate argument for, letting go of ego, um, letting your body just like do what it does and bringing like a non-attachment and a non-striving to the process of running. And I think about it constantly now when I'm out on the trails and I, I, there's like this Cohen, like this like question that you'll never be able to answer is like, how do you run up a mountain without striving? And I'll spend like hours running without striving. And I don't know if I'm really not striving, but that's my like holy grail goal right now is to find like, I guess you would call it like a flow state. But um, I, I guess what I should say is I'm doing a deep dive in sports psychology. And if I'm going way too deep here, then no. I apologize. But uh, I, I found that book to be really, really enlightening. Uh, it's it's just wonderful. And I, I just like anything that causes me to get out of my normal thought pattern with the process of running. So, uh, you know, there's great training books out there, but I'm most recently really eager to dive into the, the mental and the, yeah, the mental and psychological aspect of sport and how that influences and informs performance. And, and, and frankly, like I selfishly, I want to perform well on the things I do, but I also want to be sustainable and enjoy it. And I really hope that 30 years from now I'm setting goals and chasing dreams and doing all that. And so for me, since I've been in the sport of ultra running now for like 12 years, it's like, okay, like I've had, I've, I've had moments of burnout. I don't want to do that again. I want this to be a lifelong practice for me. And so I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing a lot of deep dives right now in that. Um, so that's one book. Maybe this is a, a selfless plug, but like, or no, it's, uh, I, I work with Uphill Athlete, which is a organization, a, a coaching organization that first got its foot in the door with, uh, alpinism and doing structured training for mountaineers and, uh, alpinists. But, uh, and so my coach, this guy, Scott Johnston is the author of the book, along with Steve House, a famous mountaineer. And they put out a great book last year called Training for the Uphill Athlete, which is really focused on trail and ultra running as well as ski mountaineering racing. And it's just a pretty clear way to lay out training and, and give you physiological understanding of what's happening with your body and why you do certain things and progressing strength and things like that. So it's less sexy than maybe some of the psychological or sports psych books out there, but it's uh, just a good training manual. And I really, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I, I pull it off the shelf pretty often just to, just to read. And, and I really enjoy it. And I think they did a good job with that. Um, I, I have a hard time not bringing up once a runner because it's such a great piece of fiction, even though I so rarely read fiction, but if anybody's really been into running for a while, that's a, that's a great book. Uh, Dina Castor's Let Your Mind Run I read this year and really enjoyed. She uh, she just does a good job of talking about the mental aspect of her life as an athlete. And I, I really appreciate, I'm, I'm a 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just like a dude and I read a lot of dudes who write about their experiences and I really enjoy listening to women's voices as well and being inspired by, by women in sport. And I thought Dina Castor did a great job with her book. Um, yeah, uh, there's, <laughs> I'm currently reading Pema Chodron's When, Thing Fa- when Things Fall Apart, which I think is like a perfect ultra runner manual because <laughs> it's all about things going to shit and having to deal with it. <laughs> and uh, it's just like, I don't know. I feel like it's a book. I mean, it's, it's very much a spiritual book and a book about being in tune with yourself. And uh, at the same time, I think it's just like a really amazing, uh, uh, yeah, amazing just meditation on the trials and tribulations of life. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to read you a quote right now. So here's, here's a quote from her only to the extent that we expose ourselves over and over to annihilation. Can that, which is indestructible be found in us. And I like read that. I'm like, Oh, Pema children was an ultra runner. You just go out and you annihilate yourself every day in hopes that you'll become indestructible one day. But the reality is you never do, but you give it a shot. (laughs) And and I love it. (laughs) Where are you look, where are you finding book recommendations or where are you finding out about new stuff that you've over the past year? Well, if I'm being honest, you, Brandon, you've recommended a few books to me. Uh, that I've really enjoyed. I do. You, you guys just had Ed Robertson on the podcast, and I follow follow his work, and he's putting out recommendations all the time. Uh, let's see here. I mean, I'm on Goodreads, and you know, I'm I'm kind of like stalking people I know and seeing what they read. And then just in conversation, I try and make it a point to not ask people what they're watching, and instead or instead ask people what they're reading because it usually lends itself to um, some better conversations. And so that, you know, just in my friend group, I I go that way. And um, yeah, certain friends I know that really like to read quite a bit. I'm constantly just bugging them, asking what they're reading. And yeah, I mean, just like a lot of people, my list is longer than I'll ever be able to read, but it's, it's fun to pick away at it. Mike, I I asked Ed this same question, but when do you do most of your reading? Yeah, I wake up in the morning, uh, have a cup of coffee and read for, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes in the morning. And then I read at night. Yeah. Uh, If it's, yeah, yeah, I'd probably read for anywhere from five minutes to an hour and a half, depending on how well I'm sleeping at any certain certain period. Um, So yeah, it's... It's rarely during the day, but I like to bookend my days that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, I mean, on the one hand, I ask, and I said the same thing to Ed, is like, I'm kind of jealous. Um, but I also think that, like, I do think scales have tipped, right? I mean, if we were having this conversation somehow in the 19th century, it's like, well, there's a lot of time and not a whole lot of distractions uh, so we're sort of maybe would be easier, assuming we had access to like electricity or candles, you know, it's like, that's what you do, uh, in the evening when it gets dark. But I, I guess I, I wonder if, you know, if there are others listening to this where at least for me, I feel like I am very much, I had my time where I was reading a ton And then I like started this thing called blister and life got real full and I'm kind of wrenching back 
you know, I'm like wrestling back my reading time. And um, it, it's sort of embarrassing to say, especially when you're talking to avid readers, but it's like, it's good for me to kind of hear like, when are other people who are also doing a number of things? When are, when are they making time? You know, how are they approaching the discipline or practicing the discipline? Yeah, I'm, I'm like rigid about my morning routine to like a, a fault. Like if, if I have a 6am, like I went and met a friend today for a 6am ski but in order to get my like reading and coffee time in, I just get up earlier. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the right way to do it, but I'll just like get up an hour and a half before I have to be anywhere in order to have that. Like, cause I, 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 I would say like I trend towards chaos in my life. And so I, I have to work really hard to like keep the, keep the wheels in the, in the ruts and stay on track. And so like morning's a good time for me to like find that balance and like, you know, I, I feel cheesy saying it, but like set the intention for the day and like get my head on. Right. And, you know, I, 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 it's been good for me to have that routine. And it, I, I tend, I tend to be a little bit more on track the rest of the day. If I do that, I find that when I don't have that little quiet time in the morning, it's, it's a little bit more chaotic for me throughout the day. But, and then at night I just have a, I mean, just, I'm sure we all do have busy minds. And if anything, I, I read to just like wind down and I, it, without that, it would be hard for me. To be fair, Jonathan, you would fill up your day with stuff about business no matter what. You would like, like if you had an hour, you would not sit down and read a book. You would be like, I need to figure out how to do this thing and, and overcome, you would overcommit. Like, <laughs> This is the funny part though. I, I don't think people understand this about me. Like, you know, before starting Blister, like one summer, I just read all of Nietzsche, like all of Nietzsche. <laughs> I had another summer, I read all of Melville. You know, and I was writing, like I was writing a lot. So I, I think that this is a bit of a misunderstanding about me, you know, because I mean, bl like this whole blister thing just took a certain level of commitment and a certain number of hours every week, bordering on the like, I don't know, hundred. Uh, and so, but like, this is not who I've always been. You know what I mean? It's kind of, I feel like this is what's required. And that's where, you know, again, like as somebody who has had, I mean, I was a philosophy professor, right? Like reading and writing was a huge part of my life. And then I started this other thing and I love this, but I miss that other part, right? So I, I, that's just in my defense. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> and, and, and Brendan, what's your current routine um, in terms of specifically the reading stuff? Oh, I, I was, we were, Mike and I were talking about this probably back in December where I was like, yeah, I count, I count laying down time spent reading as sleep. I'm like, that's good. Good enough. You know, <laughs> So right, currently I have three books I'm reading. And so I, I literally cycle through them. I like put them all on my chest and read, uh, like I'm reading <laughs> Seth Godin's new book. Like the, the chapters are like not even a page or two. So I'll read a couple chapters, toss that aside. And then I'm reading a book of Japanese short stories. So I'll read one of those and I'll throw that aside. Then I'll shut the light off and open my Kindle, which is set on a really dark setting, yeah. you know, and then I'll read like a couple chapters of this book I'm reading on the Kindle and then finally put that away. 
And that's, that's the routine. Uh, wow. it's not, that's, that's really like, you're really, you're really coming in for the landing there. I like that. You're like slowly <laughs> yeah. but surely getting closer to sleep. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then I, and then I get up and I meditate and then I go back to bed. No, I'm kidding. I don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, last year I tried to read 52 books. That was my goal. And then I wanted them to half of 50% of them to be by written by women. So it became like this thing. And I, by the end of it, I was kind of like, this is sort of a dumb goal. I'm glad I did it. But like, I don't know that I was getting any that much enjoyment out of the books near the end of the year. I was like, get it done, you know, just stupid. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't know that people find time for reading. I think they make time, um, by moving something else out of the way, but now, now that now we've now we've helped you out with your mini mini therapy session, Jonathan. I appreciate can, that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Mike, can you talk about um, Ted Lasso for a minute? This is I, I believe I I highly recommended you watch this because the running coach David Roach was so in like such an evangelist for it. So. I will say, as I said, I don't like talking about what I'm watching. I, in the back of my head, I was like, well, except for Ted Lasso. All right. then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say that as soon as I, I finished the first season of Ted Lasso, I just wanted to start over again. I don't think I've ever had that feeling when watching a show. Uh, I, I would, if I could ever be a coach like, like Ted Lasso, I, uh, <laughs> I would be so happy. I just love that there's like this show where the protagonist is like this very emotionally intelligent, in touch, vulnerable man who is the co- a football, an American football coach who goes over to UK to coach s- soccer football in the Premier League. It's it's just wonderful. I've recommended it to so many people since uh, since watching it. Uh, yeah, I, I just I want to kind of start like a fan club or like maybe like a viewing party where we get to like talk about it afterwards. Like I'm I'm all in. Hmm. Like maybe the three of us could do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. Yep. <laughs> I, think, I think it would get bigger. I actually tried to find a shirt to buy a David uh, for like a Ted Lasso oh, yeah. shirt, but they all look like sort of knockoffs and like illegally made. So I was like, eh, I'll wait until real uh, D- stuff yeah, comes out. Dave- David Roach is probably the Ted Lasso of the ultra mm. world, I would say. Mm. Yeah. yeah. In his own in his own way. In his own way. How important is optimism and or the mental side of it to your your success and sustainability going forward as as a professional runner? I I mean I don't want to overdo it, but I feel like it's everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, I mean, I struggle with like, I mean, I struggle with mental health and so whether it's depression or anxiety and it's something that I really need to work on and, and, and being positive and finding positivity in this world and being someone who gives positivity in this world. Like I don't have time for being negative because it gets me down so quick and it just, it's not what I, I I don't think it's the path to growth and to curiosity and all these things. And like, I fully believe that vulnerability is cure is courage. And like, if you're just negative all the time or you're, or you're not putting that out in the world, it's not, you're not getting anywhere. And so I'm like, constantly working on it and i'm and i'm constantly like trying to 
find relationships or, or nurture relationships or find people or narratives out there that are progressive in that way, in that positive way. And, and not in like a rose colored glasses. Cause that's not, that's not how I roll either, but I just, I think, I think we can all stand to have a little bit more positivity in our lives. And, and for me as a, as like in my process as a runner or race director or whatever, it's, it's what's gonna hopefully keep me going. Cause it's like, I mean, my internal narratives can be really negative. I mean, I can be really hard on myself all the time. It's something I, I really have to work at. Um, but you know, the, the goal, the, you know, trying to close the gap on that is, is the process right now. And I think it's really, really valuable. Mm -hmm. What is your, I I read, uh, I'm sure you've read this book too, Alex Hutchinson's Endure, um, where he kind of, I think, I think he says this in the book, like if I could go back in time, I would be less hard on myself and, uh, encourage myself to do more positive self-talk while running. What is yours? What is your positive self-talk sound like when you're out there having a, like a really tough moment? Hmm. Uh, you know, I think the the first step is normally noticing the, the negative self-talk and being mindful of that and then letting letting that not have as much weight and power as it normally, like not identifying with that thought. I think that's the big first step for me and then replacing it with something like, you know, something incremental. It doesn't have to be like, you're great. It can just be like, man, you're really putting the work in and like you should feel more proud about the fact that you you've really committed to this thing, even if it's hard in this moment, like I, I I'm often having to, it's so easy to just not see the forest through the trees, get so like tied around the axle about, you know, one bad run or not feeling good. And then just realizing how far you've come, like, and how, and the fact that you have big goals and it's fun that you're, it's like a lot of people don't even do that. Don't, don't set big goals. And, um, having that, like, just trying to give that perspective and replacing that, like very acute negative thought with something a little bit more broad and encompassing has been really, really helpful for me for sure. You know, I found myself thinking about this, quite a bit recently. And maybe this seems like a bit analogous to kind of the old like nature versus nurture argument of things. But I'm curious actually to hear both of you guys sort of say something about this. Like, and so, you know, Mike, you first, but with this stuff where you say, you know, look, I, some of the mental health issues, maybe issues of depression, you know, you've spoken openly and very well of like, hey, this is something that I'm dealing with and working through. The whole question when I bring up the nature versus nurture of like, is this just kind of the random lottery of life where all of us are a bit on the spectrum when it comes in terms of like brain chemistry or something like that, right? where given very random seeming, I guess, elements of physiology or brain chemistry or the rest, you're going to maybe have to deal with some things that maybe I'm not going to have to. Like, how much time have you spent thinking about this? And I I asked this because I once had somebody I was dating at the time. This was some years ago. They're like, I don't think you've ever been depressed one single day in your life. And I 
you know, I, I find when I have heard you, Mike, in some other conversations and in this one, I do have to confess, like, I don't think that's a particular struggle of mine, which makes me feel, frankly, like I should be like 18 times more productive than I am. Right. Or because it'd be like if I if you and I went out on a run, but I was born with a, I don't know, a 25 pound plate. Right. Like that was in the center of my back. It's like, well, that's something I have to overcome on this run with Mike. And how do you guys think about this? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people who do a lot of great things in this world have have had a lot of I mean, everybody has a challenge, like whether it's depression or whatever. I mean, everybody's working through something. Everybody's working through something. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So, I mean, you know, replace depression or anxiety with another thing. We've all got a thing. There's no, like, I'm sure I'm I'm quite sure about that, but, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's also like the narrative that a lot of people who have done great things are, have had those struggles and it's propelled them. I Mm -hmm. mean, I just, I'm kind of halfway through, uh, a book called Lincoln's melancholy, which is all about how, you know, Abraham Lincoln struggled in a big way, yep. like massive breakdowns, massive depression. And in, in weird ways, it also fueled his greatness. Um, some of the, like, there's this podcast I listen to called the hilarious world of depression. It's all about comedians with depression <laughs> and, and like lots of comedians lots. have had, have had mental health issues and it's been the fuel for their humor. Um, cause they see the world so interestingly so like i don't know who knows maybe it's a superpower i'm not right. i'm not gonna say it. it's i'm not gonna say it's not um but yeah so i don't know if it's an overcoming as much as it's like oh yeah it's this thing i have that i deal with that you know sucks sometimes <laughs> i don't know i mean I, i'd actually be curious to hear your guys's thoughts on that i think personally if i spend enough time if i spend enough energy, I guess, on what I'm doing. It keeps me from having to check in on how I'm doing. So I feel like the the work sometimes is a way of putting off whatever sort of depression I have uh, or a way of like putting things in the way of like, you know, if, if I put everything on that, then I don't have to pay attention to maybe I'm not doing so well. So I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the case for other people, but that's, that's my, I am, I, I, Mike, this just reminded me that you mentioned that podcast. I I was researching a thing about being funny and, um, internal sadness. And there was a study in 1975 published in the American journal of psychoanalysis. And they interviewed and psychologically tested 55 full-time comedians who had been working in the field of comedy for an average of 25 years each. And the guy who did the study wrote the early lives of all the subjects were marked by suffering, isolation, and feelings of deprivation. Humor offered a relief from their sufferings and a defense against inescapable panic and anxiety. Yeah. There, I mean, there's a lot more to that. And there's also, I believe this is from my memory. It was like something like 90 to 95% of the comedians he interviewed were, uh, Jewish men from, I think men, Jewish men from New York. Um, so there was this whole other thing about like, is it part of that? Those people at that time being Jewish, was that part of their, their, the feelings of suffering, isolation, blah, 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 you know? Um, but yeah, I was reading about, it was basically trying to figure out if humor is sort of a defense mechanism against depression or whatever, but yeah, it's fascinating stuff for sure. 
Brendan, is it weird that I feel like I was thinking about this and I was like, I kind of feel like I don't know if I've heard Brendan talk about this. And I was like, is that possible for all the different conversations we've had and the stuff of yours I've read? But if it was like, do I feel like Brendan is somebody who like, yeah, this is a, a little bit of a struggle or sometimes a real struggle or not so much. Like, I guess I'd have to put myself in the not so much camp. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, and we're just talking about kind of natural baselines, right? That's all it is. It's not that that's all I'm that's all I'm wondering about here is kind of that natural baseline. Huh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's that's something I think about. I mean, come on, dude, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Like that's you know, I've had I've done therapy. Obviously, there's something in the baseline there. You know, there's there's some feelings there, some some, some way. So yeah. Mike, this yeah, along those lines, you from what I know about you, you train mostly in the morning, um, never after never after two PM or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like a gremlins thing. You turn into um <laughs> How have you thought about, or is this maybe I'm barking up the wrong tree, but how important is it for you to exercise early in the day when you talk about the, the morning routine and, um, you know, your mental state and intentions for the day, how important is it for you to just get some form of exercise before say noon, um, to as far as the, how well your day goes and how you feel. Obviously I'm biased because it's the routine I've set up for myself, but it, it feels it feels really good to just get up and, and, you know, make it happen. I I'm the type of person that tends to just hyper focus in on things throughout the day. And it's really hard for me to step away from it. So I find that this is really just my own behaviors. And the reason I do it in the morning is because if I don't, then I'm not as good at getting it done in the afternoon. And I, I don't know, I like wake up and I, I'm, I'm like flabbergasted with people that feel good in the afternoon. Cause I'm always just like exhausted by 5 PM. <laughs> so going for a run in the afternoon always just feels like a Herculean task. Whereas in the morning, I feel like I'm all like bright eyed and I'm very much a morning person. Like I wake up, I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. I'm like ready to go. And I have my coffee and you know, I, I just like, I have energy in the morning and then it just like, if you were to make one of your great graphs, Brendan, it would just be a, a slow decline across the graph of my, of my energy from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. So, uh, yeah, it just is what it is. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes actually wish I could run in the afternoon because then it would break up the, like, the work to, mm-hmm. you know, like, like okay, I'm, I'm closing down the day. I'm going to go get my run in, you know great but i don't like i i kind of just blend into dinner time right now so uh maybe maybe you can talk me into some afternoon running at some point but it's it's really hard for me to motivate i mean i i think we obviously by our by our finishing times your approach works um so (laughs) but i mean yeah i I ran in the morning yesterday like literally first thing and then you know today was another another one of those days where i was like i could do it or i could make a pot of coffee and drink six cups of coffee (laughs) and that would be pretty awesome. And I could just put off my run till later. And so that's, that's what we're doing. Um, but I mean, lately what I've been doing is putting it off until it's almost dark and then just running in the dark, usually to a mailbox where I dump a bunch of mail in and then I run the rest of my run. So, um, there, there are many reasons I'm not a professional athlete and that's just one of them. (laughs) 
I guess I was my my curiosity was like, you know, the days I do do it earlier, I'm like, okay, you you, then you have a little bit of endorphins and like that thing is checked off the list. So you feel accomplished or whatever, you know, and um, I have noticed, you know, how how much it is. um, I think I have less anxiety throughout the day because it's the big item that's off my to do list, you know, and um, for me, it's more of a to do list item. And I know you get way more joy out of running than I do. It's more of like a thing I feel like I should do. Um, so I was curious in that, in that angle, I guess, but I think you, yeah, I think you can answer that. Wait a sec, um, but Mike, okay. Along that assumption, maybe of Brendan's, how often does running feel like something you should do versus how often is it a source of joy for you? Uh, I would say that oh, that's, yeah, that's an interesting way to frame it. I've never felt obligated to run, So it's never a should, but it's also not always joyful. I mean, that would be a lie. Um, It feels like it, like it it feels purposeful and valuable. I'll put it in that, in those boxes. Um, Yeah. I, I've never once been like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to do this today. Like I'm like, Oh, I'm tired or this is going to hurt or, Oh man, I don't want to do this workout. Like, cause that's going to be really painful. But it's like, I always want to, I always want to go. I'm just wired in that. I want to go I want to get out the door. Like that's never, I can't think of a time I've never wanted to get out the door. It's just a matter of, um, (laughs) yeah, it's not, it's not always joyful though. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie about that. Um, but I, yeah, I like, like a lot of people you finish it and you're glad you did it. (laughs) (laughs) It is amazing to hear you say, I can't think of a single time I've never wanted to get out the door. Cause I'm like, Every time I run, I have to go through <laughs> the like coaxing myself to go out the door. So again, Brendan, to uh, your to your point, this is why maybe neither you nor I are professional runners. I don't mean to equate you with my with you know with my uh, with my mental state, Brendan. But yeah, I would say that's like, that's a level of uh, enthusiasm that borders on like canine as opposed to human. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know anybody who's that excited besides my dog. Right. Like, my dog is psyched. Even, like, if he had two broken legs, he'd be like, you want me to go and sniff around the neighborhood? Holy shit, yeah, let's do it. I'll drag myself. Uh, oh, but, man. Yeah, yeah I, I probably don't bring that much energy, but I'm definitely <laughs> I'm definitely stoked to, to move. I, 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 uh, I'm fidgety. I'm, 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 not good at, I'm not good at sitting, especially early in the morning. I want to get, get going, so... Hmm. Yeah. Even even after you've, uh, like when you come home from your run, you sit down to work, do you think you're fidgety or is it sort of? Much less, okay. much less. Yeah. 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 I, I met this guy once who, he was a, just an am, not amateur ultra runner, but he was sort of, uh, it had multiple operations for other things and was in sort of chronic pain. And he's like, I just can't sit for very long. So basically I, he had like an old Nordic track, if you remember these things, um, Maybe they still, I'm sure they still make them, but he would, he's like, so I do a little work for a couple hours and then I get up and do that for like 20 minutes, half hour or whatever, and sit back down, you know, 15 more minutes. And he's like, by the end of the day, I've done, you know, two hours of Nordic track and finished, finished my work, but it's like, I can't sit for very long. So he would just do these micro doses of this old school cross country ski machine that he would break and then buy new parts for, from a different one repair and like it's crazy shit, but yeah. I, I've spent a little time on those things and I'm just like, I don't know if I can do this for more than like 20 minutes. It's pretty <laughs> hardcore, you know, um, given everything that we're all dealing with this year and your normal metric of 
what you're doing to succeed or improve as a runner. How do you feel like you're approaching getting better as a runner this year? Not, not knowing, you know, maybe you won't run race X or race Y. Uh, how, how are you approaching that this year as an athlete? Well, frankly, I'm, I'm just following my current curiosity, which is, uh, which is just the, the sports cycle, like the sports psych aspect of, of sport and performance and reading a lot of books and, a like just trying to bring a maybe more sophisticated mindset to my running. I don't know if that's going to make me better, but I definitely enjoy just learning about other people's processes, what motivates them, what gives people confidence. Like it's, it's helping me to kind of find a, not only the, like, you know, you progress physically throughout a year as you're training for something, but I've never really put like mental skills to work or really tried to improve in that space. And whether it's visualization, imagery, uh, self-efficacy work, you know, all of these things, I think they trickle down into the rest of your life, but they're fun to play around with in the sports arena. Um, so I've been, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm, I'm staring at eight or nine books right now that I've read in the last six months that, uh, have kind of just helped me a little bit. And so for me, yeah, it's, it's like the mental aspect of sport as I get older, it's like, you know, your body's only going to do so much. So you got to kind of like lean on your mind a little bit more. And, and I like that. And I think as, you know, I, I look at like older adventure, cause I think of, I mean, I want to be doing fun mountain adventures for a long time, as I've mentioned. And so I think the mental component is huge when it comes to that and that resilience and bouncing back from failure and all these sorts of things, they're skills and they're not articulated that clearly that often in sport. And so, uh, it's fun to, it's fun to learn and, and, and apply. Good answer. Very good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike, this has been really fun. I hope we have some more conversations in our future. Cause I feel like we really are just kind of scratching the surface somehow an hour and 20 minutes later on, um, some other topics that we could explore. This has been really fun chopping it up with you two in particular on some of these things. Really appreciate hearing more about your background, how you're going through this year. Here's to a good year in front of you when it comes to like, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 races and maybe getting back on track in terms of some of your own racing and competing as well. Here's also hoping that like, as you just talked really well about the the improvements you might be able to make on the mental side of thing, that's going to be a fun one to kind of follow and, and maybe check back in with you about if you feel like, yeah, there were some things I learned and have been able to, you know, implement in terms of your own training and maybe your own racing, that would be a really fun one to come back and follow up on. Yeah, that would be great. I'd love it. Well, hey, thanks so much. We'll let you get going. Good luck with all of it and hope to talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, guys. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, talk soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks so much to Mike and also to Brendan for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Crested Butte and Gunnison, Colorado, please be safe, 
Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.